Hello, beautiful listeners. It's your host, Tembi Locke. Welcome to Lifted, a podcast that pulls back the curtain on creativity, resilience, and the extraordinary moments when everything changes. Danielle Deadweiler is a multidisciplinary artist, writer, actor, and filmmaker. As an actor, she is unforgettable in Station Eleven, Watchmen, Atlanta, and The Harder They Fall. As a filmmaker and a producer, Danielle's work has been screened at the Creative Loafing Atlanta, New Orleans Film Festival, Oxford Film Fest, and more. And as a performance artist, her work has been included in the Atlanta Contemporary Museum, among others. She is a graduate of Spelman College, and she holds a master's in American studies from Columbia University and a master's in creative writing from Ashland University in Ohio. Danielle stars as Zora in From Scratch, and she transforms the screen as Mamie Till in the critically acclaimed film Till, about the life of Emmett Till and Mamie Till, a mother who changed history, for which I am sure she will receive an Oscar nomination. Her performance is nothing short of a triumph, and I have had the privilege and pleasure of working with Danielle, seeing her artistry up close, but I have also had the joy of sharing drinks with her as the sun set on the Mediterranean, and I can tell you she is an artist, a thinker, and a change maker for our time. I know you will enjoy and also be illuminated by my conversation with Danielle. Danielle, welcome to the Lifted Podcast. I'm so Thank happy to you. Have you here. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. And although we were together and in the same space quite mm-hmm. a bit, mm-hmm. because we were so entrenched in work, you were in character. I'm over there by the video village of it all or whatever. We didn't actually get to hang out as much as I wanted to. We did in Sicily. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. So this is kind of my way of getting more Danielle time. Okay. I, I'm here to give. <laughs> I, I went to your beautiful website and your artist statement is fantastic. Oh no, not oh dear. I'm going to tell you one thing that stood out for me, which was that you have said that art is a mainstay in your life. And I just thought that is so beautiful. What a beautiful way to describe your work, the constancy of that. Mm-hmm. How did you come to that understanding of art as like in you and the almost sounds foundational when you say it is okay it truly is I don't know pre four years old but I know (laughs) my mother and I tell this story all the time but it's just the truth and it's just the earliest memory that I don't necessarily have it is recollected for me that I was dancing in front of the tv to soul train and my mother said oh I got to put that baby in dance. I got to give that baby this opportunity to express in that manner. And so I know that I've been dancing as an expression, as a part of my my language of living since before then, right? Because then she put me in dance. I love in that is your mama who is watching her baby just dance. That, <laughs> well, 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 but that speaks to a parent who is really paying attention and who is also seeking to help you have this full embodied experience, right? Because some parents may have seen mm-hmm. that and just been like, oh, she danced on the TV. Come in here and help me do these dishes. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's cute. That's fun. But um, hello, we got other stuff to do. But like she took that moment, right? And she really mm. took that in. And I think mm. I had parents, but really it was my grandmother who was offered that space for me and for my sister. I mean, she mm. literally was like, in her East Texas town was like, 
you can turn over my whole living room and play all day long. We would up in chairs. We would turn them into supermarkets. And that play, <laughs> that sense of play, so informative. I can mm. see now, right? There's something so holistic about even just the vision of that and living one's life in that way. I know it's something, whether consciously or unconsciously, I think I've inspired to. I, I think you do it. Like the whole act of like having a personal experience, a very human experience, and then coming back around to synthesize that experience into an art form of whatever it may be. You do that. You've done that as an actor. You've done that as a writer. You've done that as a show creator runner. Like that is the example for me too, in another capacity. So the blessing is now being able to own that, like in mm-hmm, a conscious mm-hmm, space, mm-hmm. right? Because I think mm-hmm. I was just doing it because it felt like the intuitive next step. It felt like the natural thing, like, oh, if I don't do this, something is going to grieve deeper inside of me. Like some part of me will splinter off if I don't wrap my arms around it and go. Mm-hmm. And I was just doing it. And now mm-hmm. I have enough of those experiences stacked on top of each other that I can say, oh, wait a minute doing this 360 degree thing yeah. that you've talked about. Completely. It, it is a, if I don't do this, something's going to hurt. Yes. Something feels unfulfilled, empty or missing. And that's what these expressions are. They don't come out in forms of branding or marketing. You know what I mean? And that's okay if that's the intent of someone. But a lot of works, at least works for me, they don't come from that space. Something has desperately sought to manifest itself. Would you say that play in your work is essential? It is essential. It is. I didn't have a grandmother who was like, you can toss and turn my living room. She was like, you gonna get in here and help me grind this meat. You know, she worked on a poultry factory. I wasn't a lone girl, but I was by myself. I was one of the youngest granddaughters. I had to spend a lot of time with her. And so the boys got to go with my grandpa on you know, trips to wherever the hell they went. I, I was like, I wanna go, I wanna stay here, watch the stories. Now that I think about it, in retrospect, watching the stories was a part of seeing folks do a a thing. Oh, this is intriguing. Not to mention, oh, come help me do these things in the kitchen. So it's play, but it's work at the same time. So I'm having this experience of this kind of adulthood watching of art, right, Uh, of television, and then this actualization of labor couched in, in my mind, as a kind of play, but also work too with her. Play is a form of thinking for me as opposed to getting in the sand and doing a certain thing, right? Or just coming up with, you know, the sandcastle and this and that, like it's not whimsically. It it has the potential to do that, but those things that I do personally don't manifest to me in that kind of way. It's more of a, I think play is literally walking, a walking meditation. And that can enable you to flow to all kinds of different spaces, to all kinds of thoughts. I feel like a lot of things come to me in that way. There's a clarity in just taking a stroll. And when you're taking the stroll, do you and that idea, the visions that pop through Mm. or that drop down, right? Do you grab on and say, ah, I want to follow that one a little farther. And it yes, go, okay, that's the process. They might connect to something that's been more rigorously studied or something that I'm currently reading. And then that might connect to something that I dreamt about, you know, last night or the week prior. I'm a big dreamer. I write down all of them as many as I possibly can. Because I think that's messaging. That's imagination. That's a certain surreality that that should be, you know, explored. 
that can become a part of anything that you do. Walking takes me down the rabbit hole. I love that. And I always, you know, had a kind of very active mind as a child, still do, Um, (laughs) still do, very active mind. Those nearest and dearest can attest. (laughs) They're like, can you quiet that brain? Just the hair. Like, don't work that way. It's got to keep going. But I have also learned to give it pause and repose. Meaning Mm -hmm. when I'm in that deeply ideating space to balance it with quiet and that quiet is, it might be taking a stroll for me. It might be, sometimes it's Mm -hmm. travel and then seeing what pops up in that area. Right. And when you link those, the active ideating and the ideas that come to the dreams and that liminal space, when you hook those together, Mm -hmm. you get a kind of magic and alchemy. That's beautiful. I mean, that's the realest thing. I've been having a lot of conversations about what writing is you know, with, with folks. And it's, I think that just goes for everything. Art as a practice is a total life experience, which, you know, is the embodied artful living quality, right? That you want to talk about. It's synthesizing all aspects of the self. It is the experience of just being. It is the experience of literally thinking, close reading of information, be it a book, a visual art piece, an installation. It is close reading of dance, of the archive, of family lineage, of all kinds of things. And you bring this legacy of thinking, of being, of imagining, of sitting, of meditating, of just experiencing all of life together to inform a particular thing that you seek to share. So it's an intuitive, spiritual, natural expression that comes forth from my body. Dance is super spiritual for me. It's not about it being performative. It is something that has to move through me. And it is a gift and a sharing space with people when I do something like that. I take it as joy, as play, and I take it seriously. It was the natural segue into theater. Is an understanding from music, which leads to performance art, which is much more experimental. You know, all of these things are a webbing that continue to branch and become super circular, a 360 degree experience. That's a total holistic experience right there. You know, you have to have all these aspects together. A lot of times we know artists don't give ourselves credit because you think that it's supposed to be this hyper mechanized thing to bring forth work. And it's not, it's all of you. It's every quality. It's the history of you. It's the conversation you have. The thing that you're reading is the watching of children play, the gardening, watering. It's all of that coming together to have a specific purposeful expression. I am taking that in. That feels... I'm trying to take it in too. (laughs) Right, right, right. No, but it feels good. And like to really... I think what came to me in that share was thinking of how evolved... That is, and I think we are in a time that actually has the space and we've evolved to a place we can take that holistic understanding of being an artist in, right? More people can take it in that people used to be like, wait, what are you talking about? (laughs) Or isn't art commerce? Isn't it about whatever is front facing or, and now I'm hoping that we are in a time in which people, especially as women and as black women, that we can own all these pieces and know the beauty of those multitudes. Your work to me is that. I mean, I see it. I've had the privilege of actually watching it in real time. Not not what's edited, what makes it into the final cut. I've actually watched yeah. it like take to take, play to play, moment to moment. And it is 
it is a fluid, beautiful, vibrational membrane. It is just happening, right? And it's yeah. gorgeous. And it's all of you. <laughs> and it's all of you. And I can only imagine how good that feels. Maybe not at the end of each day, but like to live holistically and fully like that. And I, was there someone in your life who modeled this way of living or did you come to this? Thank you for that. It's cool to be witnessed. I don't know if I saw it whole or understood it whole, but I don't have any other artists in my family, but my sister. My sister was the model for me. Oh, I'm gonna get emotional, stop it. And then I'm looking at you and I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of adding it. <laughs> this is so deep. I'm gonna laugh it through, but. <laughs> My sister's a writer. She's a playwright. She's a screenwriter and a, a, a television writer too, and filmmaker. She's a person that I looked up to. She's, you know, older than me by a few years, but I was alone. I'm like, I'm number three of four. So there's a kind of, I'm a weird, shy, only child kind of experience when she goes off to college. Cause I'm like in what, fifth grade at that point. I'm looking to her in all ways. I'm looking to her in all ways before then, but I'm also just looking to her in like in this point where I'm coming to a particular identity in a self-defining certain kind of way. She is the one I'm looking toward because she was a history major. I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to go be an academic too. But also she's doing theater. She's acting in place. And she's the one who's like, don't be fearful. Just go do the thing. Oh, you want to rap? Just go do the thing. Oh, you want to do the play? Just go. You want to be in this class? Just go. Even if it's something that she hasn't necessarily done in that way, she's the one who's affirming me to take the leaps. And then that's putting me in spaces with people who are showing me how to be in one arena of life, a certain discipline as an academic or as an actor in this way or as a visual artist in this way. And then I also give credit to my mother's, one of her best friends, Velma Luttaway. She's the visual artist that I grew up seeing. But you know how like as a kid, you see something and you don't give it as much credence as you should. I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm, a, I'm growing up watching her do the National Black Arts Festival every year and have, you know, a traditional professional job in conjunction with doing her work. And I think about them as my sister, as an artist who's developing, who's slightly ahead of me and trying to figure it out, but also encouraging me. And then I think of Velma as this godmother figure who was just there and who had a, a steadiness, a consistency in her practice that I didn't quite get as a kid. But because I was present, you just have to have children present or anyone present. It's porous. It starts to sink in. It's there. When it registers, it registers. And everybody on their due time. But I know those are two figures that definitely have carried me through my life from my childhood into my adulthood and into my professional practice. Thank you so much for that. I talk a lot about people in my life who held a vision for my life that was mm -hmm. greater than what I could see at any given moment in time. That's that. Exactly. Exactly. Who see us in our qualities before we wholly take, you know, take the reins of them. Mm -hmm. and, and then they keep saying in different ways, in different directions, in forms mm -hmm. of encouragement, 
yeah, mm-hmm. go for it. Go do it. Mm-hmm. Go do it. Mm-hmm. Especially earlier in my life. Like if it didn't look perfect, 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 I, I couldn't, I couldn't be out there with it. Right. That was a, a, <laughs> a wound I had to heal. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. To be able to say, well, I don't have to look perfect. Let me just go try it. But the hearing people hold that vision, articulate it, encourage enough to where you're like, okay, yeah. I can't unring that bell. Your sister sounds amazing. And as someone who's, mm. and, and, and although in the series, I know, I know she is, right? Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. What's your sister's mm. name? What's your sister's Gabrielle name? Gabrielle Fulton Ponder is my sister. She's, that's my dog. <laughs> I, anyway, I have a sister who is my ride or die, my road dog, who I have always looked up to. And by the way, she is the younger sister and I was looking up to her, right? Because yeah. she yeah. was, you know, as, as children, I understood that she had a kind and quality of tenacity and vision, right? For what she oh, wanted. Oh, I think that, I think that on stage. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's just straight up. I mean, you know, it's wrapped up in the personality, but it's, she's like, this is important to me and I'm going for it, Right. I feel that that was one of the greatest gifts of having someone right adjacent to me who was willing to take risk. Yeah. Well, cause it's, it's a, it's a different experience to walk alone and like constantly be looking for the particular art family, right. The chosen family in that regard. But sometimes, I mean, sometimes we, you know, we get lucky and yeah, we got them right there. Right. They're your kin family and your art family and your mm-hmm. soul family. Like it's like mm-hmm. a whole, you know, I, I all, right there. all right there. I went through a time of like, relearning a renaissance of self right of just being with me doing jigsaw puzzles alone I know that's something I remember watching one of my aunts do and I was like damn you got a thousand pieces you gonna do that by yourself okay all right but then in retrospect like oh that's not so bad and so when I was spending a lot of time alone prepping for another show that's what I did because it was cold as hell outside. So it's like, I'm not taking a stroll. Let's take an, an inner working, right? And that's a kind of process of like moving space. But space time might not literally be going to another location. It's moving through yourself. And so to engage with putting a puzzle together over the course of several hours is a, a digging into how do you put fragments together? How do you connect dots? How do you find congruency? Just listening to music alone. Here again, a close read. And stuff comes to the surface differently when you're not trying to entertain or perform for others. When you do that, that's rich. You know, meditation, people talk about it all the time, but there are all kinds of ways to do that, to be guided, to just be sitting in the silence, to do it in a collective form. I've done a number of those kind of like Zoom-based meditation things. And it's not talking. It's a solitude with others, kind of, you know. I think it's just a rethinking, reimagining what we find these terms to be. Those are ways that, I mean, literally just being outside, my acupuncture is like, you need to be around green because green is good for your body. It's good for your heart. And so just going and sitting by water, going and sitting under trees, it's a real thing, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, it very it's a real much nurturing thing. It very much is. One of the wise, shamanic, beautiful people in my life who like drops nuggets of information told me something I will never forget. Take the Wizard of Oz. I said, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay. So they're on their way to the Emerald City, right? And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. yes, they are. <laughs> and she mm-hmm. said, well, they're following the colors of the chakra. 
if you look at the Wizard of Oz, that journey has to go through all the colors of the chakra. Uh. And at each point, the heart is the green, uh-huh. right? The ruby red slippers is the passion and the quest for the journey. When I analyzed it from that place, I was like, oh, okay, this is deep. That is why that story resonates, right? One of the things that you offered in your share is the fact that, yes, it's going to look different for everyone. It could be a puzzle. It could be a walk. It could be a meditation. You might be sitting with your child, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. observing yeah. them for their whole self. I know you're a mom, yeah. right? Yeah. You have a son. <laughs> and motherhood and solitude might seem antithetical. But- Not. That's something that you can't give up. I know it's difficult for everyone, right? I only have one child and I'm very honest with my child about who I am. He knows what I do and I know him and we know that space is necessary. And that's the conversation we have. It's difficult to do that with four kids. I look at my mom and I go, bruh, how did you do it? (laughs) It's 11 years between my older sister and my younger brother. That's some hardcore stuff. It's difficult for everybody to get it in. It's, it might be a, the most smallest of a nugget of, 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 of two minutes, or it might be 10, or it might be 60 minutes, it might, whatever, but you have to find it. Mm-hmm. Or you live in a particular kind of desperation, and that's difficult to be artful, to be fully embodied sure. if you aren't finding that space. He understands. Like, I, I'll be meditating, and he'll come in the room. Mommy, I... And he looks, and he sees me meditating, and he says, oh, I'm sorry. I'll come back. He gets it. I love that you share that because look, I have an only child, you know, we've been through a lot. I try to keep a a whole level of just straight honesty with her, right? That kind of dialogue. And I always said from the beginning, I was like, I thought I would have a lot of kids, life bent another way. I have one beautiful child and I know I am a good mother to one. I probably would be a hot mess of a mother to many. I would, because I could not hold and do the thing. For me, I know my bandwidth, I know my scope. And so being honest with our children, I think is very, through through all of it, through our joys, through our endeavors to expand, through our work, through our griefs, they will, I hope, be wholer, fuller, more expanded people. That's so important for you to say it like that, because there's a generation that didn't know their mothers. Like, I don't know if the boomers got who their parents were or are synthesizing why their parents did the things that they did. And so I just think it's a valuable thing to expose our children to who we are, the fullness of us, the things that we make, the things that we do for money, the things that we do for joy, the things that make us sad. You know, I know so many people talk about I didn't see my mother cry until this moment, right? Like, is that the moment where you registered your mother as an emotional human being? Oh, okay, cool. So now you get it, right? She's flawed or she's tender and soft in this way and that she has freaking multitudes and appreciate that and the complexity of who she is and don't have us in a rigid box of how to be. A prototype. Yeah. It's always been a falsehood. It's always been rooted in some patriarchal making of what womanhood is. Thank you. I think that's just a valuable aspect of our being and our making as well. I completely agree. And I was thinking about the pandemic was a moment when, you know, I thought 
she was seeing the inside of my life, you know, and I'd been <laughs> writing a book and I'd, la, 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 you know, which I've told her, you don't ever have to read that book. You get to choose when and how and if you want to engage with that text, right? That yeah. is the story I wrote, my lens. You have your own story unfolding, right? So you don't ever mm -hmm. have to, to read that book. But, you know, yeah. I would tell her about what was happening. I'd share little bits if she had the bandwidth to hear. But that pandemic hit and we were all in this house together. And I said, this is next level. You seeing the interior of my world. <laughs> Like yeah, we yeah. actually aren't supposed to spend this much time together because usually you'd be like out in the fields, like back in the day, like plowing something. We yeah. all have our separate tasks to make the household run. Now we're just sitting here looking at each other, <laughs> you know, and that was finding solitude was a challenge as a parent during that time. But it was also a gift because they saw all the things that they saw, you know, mm -hmm. she saw the struggles and the joys and the resilience and I mm -hmm. want to talk a little bit about resilience because I think I feel that there's a relationship, and I'm still trying to unpack it for myself, between art and resilience. They exist together. And so I wanted to talk about that with you because I think, one, you are someone who thinks thoughtfully about things, these interplays, right? Between, like, art for me was a place where, oh, if I go to that, I may understand something, and then that understanding made me more resilient? Or was mm -hmm. it that... The resilience is what made me, even in the face of horrific things, to go to art. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there's a relationship between art and resilience? Or there can be? Or I think there surely can be. When you say resilience, we're talking about the strength and capacity to persist, maybe? As yeah, a yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. And then the thing that continues for me in my work or in a, a series of my work is endurance. Right. Which is something that a lot of us, you know, particularly black women are trying to get away from trying to get away from this idea of being resilient, this idea of being enduring. But I think that's valuable for the survival of a, a specific generation. And I think that's something important to unpack and to continue to learn from. And so that's what I do. I come from a lineage of folks who are resilient, who endure, who continue, who persist, who survive because they've had to based on the environment, the milieu in which they came up. You know, my folks are from North Georgia, right? And so that is a specific experience in 1950s American life. It's a specific racial, gendered, class, social experience. And to survive is an education. I'm constantly trying to learn that. And I've applied that to my work. I've applied legacy building to my work. What does it mean to go forward, right? Like, so walking has been inclusive in that. Black people didn't always have physical freedom. So that physical freedom literally moves through the body by literally walking yourself to where you want to go, to where you want to be. If it's literally out of the city, out of the state, to migrate, that is one mode in which some of my family members have done. And if it's just to go down the street or to go around the house to burn trash or to cut the head off a chicken so that we may eat, so be it. You know, those things are important to recall, to share and to look into historically so that we understand these are the things that we've done to continue. That's something that you can pull from, even if it's not necessarily in the context of like your political social dynamic. Right. Mm -hmm. You can't engage the same exact way because we've been enabled to have privilege, you know. My grandparents only had a certain level of education. My grandmother, ninth grade education. But man, did everybody else have the ability to do all this other stuff? 
I understand her plight and her ability to endure. And she lived to be a beautiful age. And now we persist. And, and transmuting that into art, which is what I hear you do. Like you have that conscious understanding of the ground on which you stand, the people upon whose shoulders you stand, and with great intentionality, use your gifts in this lifetime to transmute and bring all of that into an art form. That is dance, is acting, is performance art, is writing, is all of it. That is beautiful. All those things. Because they couldn't. Because they couldn't. They couldn't. They couldn't. I do it in your name. I say that all the time. I do this in your name. I do this yeah. in your name. I remember when I was starting out as an actor and I had a, a wonderful acting coach who's still a dear, dear friend of mine, Julia Ariola. I would get stuck trying to audition for something. Like, I don't understand this character. I don't understand what, you know, all that, right? <laughs> Just in my, mostly because I was thinking about getting a part. She said, you know what? Forget all that. Just go out there today. She said, just dedicate this performance, this audition to one yeah. person in your life. Yeah. And let it go and give let it be an act of giving dedicate yeah. it to that was a radical shift in consciousness yeah. for me use my art as a gift giving across time and space and i would name my great grandmother who could never have stood in los angeles in a hollywood office auditioning from some <laughs> television whatever producer person right right and i'd be like i'm doing this for you today so suddenly yeah. it wasn't about me. It wasn't about getting the part. Yeah. It was a psychic freedom. Everything I do artistically is not a money-making thing. It's not a money-making endeavor, but it surely is a spiritual endeavor. It's a processing through the dark and it's a coming to the known. If nothing else, it is purely always that, which gives me an abundant understanding of myself, an abundant understanding of potentially of others, an abundant understanding of my people, of my family, of all of those things, you know? It's not, look, people, we gotta make money, right? That's valuable. That's something that has to be done. Like, we're gonna do that. But if it's coming from a richer soil, a different mm -hmm. kind of soil, it, it, it'll, the roots will stand a little stronger. I love it. I heard you say that you have decided, and I hope this decision <laughs> still stands, <laughs> to live in a state of buoyancy. Yeah. I Girl, talk about that all the time. <laughs> talk to me about the state of buoyancy. I need to know about this because one of the things I have said something recently, I found myself saying to someone, I said, no, y'all, I am worshiping the altar of rest and joy. I am at the altar of rest and joy because I need that right now in my life. And so when I heard you say live in a state of buoyancy, literally just hearing the words lined up in that way, I was like, ooh, ooh, I felt lifted. I felt like, ooh, I could do that it's too. that part, yeah. Yeah, it's the lifting. <sighs> buoyancy is a floating. It is a part of this notion of flow. It is untethered. And yet, you know, you feel the energy and the connection to other things, though you are not, your discipline is not defined find by being forced to do as this tethering can sometimes do. But buoyancy allows you to, to flow, to just feel everything and not be forced to go in any direction. Become a part of the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. That's just been important to me. Just being younger, you, you feel like, oh, it's got to be like this. And you think it's going to be this linear experience. And buoyancy is highly nonlinear. It is Ooh. much more cosmic. And that takes you to the experience of being beyond just a human experience. 
buoyancy is literally dreams, right? Buoyancy in dreams is the way you move from scene to scene in a dream. You can therefore manifest anything, like you can create from nothing. And so you might be having one experience of, I don't know, uh, um, King Kong, this is a dream from when I was like 11 years old. King Kong is, is stomping through the darkness of a plains area, right? And it's just a cabin, a log cabin and one single light bulb above. This is literally a dream that I had. And then the next thing you're flying, right? Or falling or teeth are falling out. Like that's the kind of buoyancy that I'm speaking of, the ability to move through scenes. And yet that is a particular kind of free imaginative quality that you naturally have as a thinking, living being, and you make the surreal, it's just freeing. That's how that feels. I mean, just hearing you say that was a reminder to me, ah, oh, yes, I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> like I just need, <laughs> to, need to put like signs of that all the way around my house because we find ourselves, I find myself in a time in which the world feels heavy. And so Ugh. to, with great intentionality, say, I choose to evoke, to live in, to reach for, to live in that state of buoyancy is a kind of, as I say in Italian, un contraposto. It's like a contrasting place. There's beauty in this. Like I'm not going to just get sucked into this one thing that is the dominant yeah. ethos yeah. that is happening in the world right now, but I choose yeah. to, using my agency, all the things I have within me, to evoke, to step into, to plug into that state of buoyancy and hang out there. I see yeah. what I have Right? Yeah. It's just floating, right? That's one of the first things that you learn as a new swimmer or something, how to relax into the water. You are still, you are surrounded by this abundant mass. The water is all about you. You are not disconnected. You know that everything is here. It's a different mind state to allow yourself to just undulate with those things as opposed to being brought down and sagged down. It's not surface in the experience of just taking the little things that are immediate for any audience member. It's understanding the waves. It's understanding the unseen so that you can have an appreciation for your own experience and all the stuff that is the depth below. If you take on too much, then you will sink. I was just watching some free divers this morning, free diving like for three minutes and 34 seconds. What? That's insane to me. But there is something that happens when a free diver goes down where they have to remain calm and they have to have a certain positioning of body so that they can protect their lungs. So you have to stay in this physicality and this mental state so that you can endure if you do choose to go down. I think it's that too. There's something to be buoyant and free dive on down. I think that's a state of ecstasy as well. Why else would they be doing it? <laughs> but I want to talk a little bit about from scratch. Yeah. Because, wow, what a gift. What a gift having you be a part of that. Forever, I'm going to be like, my sister was played by Danielle Dillard. <laughs> I, I was like, I mean, talk about how fucking amazing is that? Like, my sister is Danielle Dillard on screen. Like, that is like the coolest thing. And I want to talk specifically about episode 102, which is the second mm -hmm. episode. So that episode, surely, yes, we know it's the Amy Lino, as Zora said, the shit gets real episode because he comes to LA. Zora Baby is thanking. But Attic and I always thought about that episode as also the episode of sisterhood where we start to see the closeness of that sisterhood. Mm -hmm. You've said your sister is mm -hmm. a writer. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Did your own relationship with her inform what you brought to Zora? I mean, sure. I think so. I think it informed my relationships with my siblings in general did. I'm very, very close to my sister, but the dynamism that has happened with each of us as we grow up, my experience with each of my siblings informed it because it's there are moments of being very close. There are moments of being quiet and essentially, you know, not talking because you're going through a specific hard, difficult thing. There are moments of joy and being together and you remember childhood and those things make you connect. Yes. Like reading the idea of you all's relationship on the page, it just showed a different example of what it means to come through a particular family dynamic, right? And the way that you all have been named, right, in this way. It just goes, oh, this is beautiful. How to care and how to love for family in this other kind of way. Because a lot of people's experiences, and some of my experience comes from a space of, you know, difficulty and trying to come to understand what it means to be family in this way. And then to see you all model that for people to read about, then now for people to see, that was the value and the significance of this piece being out because we need models on how to, how to be together and then how to move through grief together. And I don't know if folks always get that. So I value and appreciate you all for revealing that and showing that. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Danielle. It was something that I have said Sato, my late husband, the character that Lino's based on, he made our family grow up. I've always said that. We yeah. grew up as a family. We were we yeah. were a close family. We were good together. Yeah. It was all good. We liked to, you know, all the things, right? But that, the event of his illness and his cancer and caregiving through that over the course of that decade, he lifted us. If we were truly the family we thought we were and the family we wanted to be, then we had to learn how to show up in a whole new way and mm-hmm. be together in a whole new way. And I'm not attributing this just to his illness. It's a part of what he asked of us along the way. That was a gift. And it felt like something certainly worth writing about. And, and now, you know, on the screen. Do you have a favorite scene in this episode? So, 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 so I was thinking about this. <laughs> and to be honest, it's when he comes home and he's had the hard day and Zora's there and she's grading papers because it's the tension. That's the thing about family. You have to deal with the conflict. You have to deal with the resistance. Why are you resisting? That's not brilliant. What is making me feel this way? Why am I bounded off? Is it honest? Is it true? Do you not want to have a relationship? You do want to have a relationship. Okay, cool. So you see me, right? That whole scene is, I don't see, oh, don't come bother me in my space, but yet, oh, you see me? Oh, I see you. Okay, well, let's be seen together. The surprise, allowing life to surprise you and to shift your modality. I love that part. Like, he's willing to do this thing, this thing that I am an expert at, let me do it for you. I see you're an expert in what you do, but this thing that I'm good at, I can aid you to make your life easier and it can be good for us all. That scene is also my favorite scene. I started calling it in editing the alliance scene. It's when alliance, they became an yes. alliance. When they were like, oh, yes. okay. You know, she is going along like, I don't know who this is that my sister has brought up in this house. I don't know about any of this. He done moved my stuff around. What is happening? I love my he sister. He turned me into a laundromat. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> and then he's like, you're good at this. I see you and thank you. Mm-hmm. I see you and thank you. And that is one of the things I hope that the series is able to do writ large 
is yeah. invite people to have moments like that with the ones they love. Say, I love you. I see you. I thank you. Please forgive me. I forgive you. All mm-hmm. the things that it takes to be a family. Mm-hmm. And be mm-hmm. vulnerable together because you got to be in contract to be vulnerable together. Be vulnerable together. together. Yeah. So, oh it's my gosh. redefining intimacy practices, right? Redefining how you engage with each other. That was pivotal. I was having this experience when we were on set, like, wow, this is a good thing to, to apply. Okay, oh, this is a good thing to apply. Oh. Well, that's good. That's a perfect segue to my last question because I was going to ask you is there anything from Zora that you learned from Zora? Knowing that the experience is bigger than you, that's just set with me. We, we should continue to look outside of ourselves. And Zora did that, right? Zora constantly did that. But it doesn't have to be to a detriment. Zora stood up for things that she wanted and she expressed it and it didn't necessarily come out the way she always wanted. But then it shouldn't take long to come back. Thinking of the labs, I'm thinking of, oh, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm doing all the things. Come into this space. We are in this space. We're sharing this space and yet still being hyper territorial, right? In a way, if you're going to do something, just commit to it, right? And you don't make people feel bad about this commitment that you've made to them. If you make this kind of commitment to yourself and to others and to care for each other in this way, which is care is a big deal, then you know, you're asking yourself to have a grander experience to see another human being, be them family or whatever the relationship may be, to see outside of yourself and for them to see into you. Zora does that. She's a teacher. I taught to see others and to aid them and to usher and care for themselves in the way that they deserve to be cared and loved for. Well, I will say, Miss Danielle Deadweiler, you teach us with every bit of work and art you put into the world and we are the better for it. Thank you for sharing this time with me today. Thank you. I will never forget this conversation with Danielle, particularly her thoughts on living life in a state of buoyancy, and also her ideas on motherhood, sisterhood, and the idea that art as a practice is a total life experience. She has lifted me. Her work lifts all of us. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Lifted is developed, written, and produced by me and my one-woman producing team, Solia Cates. It is edited by Jamie Moss. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for our next inspiring episode.